Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask Mapped, episode one hundred and thirteen. Uh, cien, what, what, what's one thirteen? Cien, ciento trece. Ciento trece. Um, welcome. We are the Mapped team here to answer all of your questions. Uh, from what is the best pre med outfit of the day to what is the best pre med book to read. Um, we should start doing outfits of the day. And that's all the rage on TikTok. OOTDs. OOTDs. And then like, we can wear our various pre-med swag shirts. Yes. We, we can show off our, our, newest, uh, our newest creation, our uh, uh, OPC swag, <laughs> the uh, Overthinking Pre-Med Club. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Ryan, where can we get an Overthinker Pre-Med Club sticker? Um, nowhere yet. Um, okay. oh, on my water bottle, if you will. <laughs> It will be at premedshirts.com, right? Yeah, potentially at some point. Uh, That's the goal. Anyway, uh, I am Ryan Gray. Uh, I am uh, with the rest of my mapped team, starting from the bottom, Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director of TMDSAS, the man who knows everything about the Texas medical school application, and uh, will die on his sword protecting <laughs> all of the Texas applicants. Um, hello, Scott. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm Good. excited. It's, to- it's great to be here today. I am not a member of the Overthinking Club. Uh, <laughs> many as many uh, people have accused me of being an underthinker. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, uh, you're, no, you're a member of OPAC. Uh, OPAC, not to be confused with OPEC. You're the Overthinking Premed Advisor Club. There you go. There you go. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely fit into that category. So, <laughs> well, it's well, always um, always great to be here. Yes, yes. Um, our newest member of the Overthinking Pre-Med Advisor Club, Courtney Lewis. Hello and welcome. How Hi. are you? I'm doing well. Former Sorry. Director of Admissions at Burrell College of Osteopathic Medicine. Doing well, hanging out. I promise one day I'll get that mapped. Channel <laughs> yeah. up on my wall. I just need to get some additional leverage for some, it. Some, yeah. some hardware for it. Everyone keeps telling me, like, you need to get her one of those things. I'm like, I did. I did. Right uh, now it's uh, <laughs> propping up two uh, panels that are blocking out some of the sunlight until we get our blinds in about two weeks. So nice. it's okay. uh, being repurposed right now. <laughs> hey, multifunctional. That's, that's what it's all about. Uh, well, welcome. Welcome. Verenia Granum, former. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Former assistant Dean in pre-health and STEM advising at Hofstra. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you. Happy to be here. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. You have the lovely sign. It looks so small. Your room must be very long. Or maybe it's just the camera. 
No, it's it's a wide room. All right. All right. Good, good. I'm excited to have you here. Excited to get going, answering some questions. Last but not least, Rachel Grubbs, MAPS co-founder with tons and tons and tons of experience in the MCAT and pre-med space. Hello, my friend. Hello. And I never did hang my map thing. It just sits on uh, the desk there leaning against the wall because... I'm my the space behind me is so short that if I hung it up, then we only get like the bottom half of it. Yeah, it works. It works. Yeah. And the both of you, the the two uh, non-hanging map sign members, also have some cool podcast uh, microphone stuff to use that uh, we we haven't set up yet either. Oh so. yeah, Ooh, oh, uh, it's true. Oh, it's sitting <laughs> sitting on the floor next to me, waiting to be uh, assembled. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Um, well, uh, if you are new here to ask mapped, what we do is for the next 40 51 minutes uh we answer all of your questions uh go to mapped.tv that's where we take most of the questions and we'll throw them up here and we will use our combined uh what is it 20 50 60 uh, almost 100 years of a combined experience <laughs> um, I was wondering. to help answer your questions so let's rock and roll Rachel asks, what advice will you give first-year students entering as a pre-med? Verenia, you probably, uh, Scott, you you did a lot of uh, pre-health advising as well. But Verenia, uh, coming from Hostra most recently, uh, hanging out on the undergrad campus, what what is uh, some advice you can give to entering pre-meds? Oh, definitely. So you want to, first of all, make sure that you have your um, courses set up, everything's ready to go. Take your time, get adjusted to the pace of things. Don't try not to get overwhelmed with, you know, there's going to be a lot of activities going on. Just focus on doing well. Focus on your study skills, making sure that you're establishing your time management. Um, The other stuff, the fun stuff, slowly sprinkle that in. Uh, But your first year really should just be about getting yourself accustomed to the the first semester, especially getting yourself accustomed to the pace of the courses you're going to be taking, connect with your pre-health advisor on campus, get to know them because they are the, the resource to connect you with other uh, pre-health students, other pre-health organizations. So number one thing, get your study habits, um, you know, firmed up uh, so that you have a very successful first semester. Yeah. One of the biggest mistakes I see a lot is students taking on too much, mm-hmm. thinking, oh, my gosh, I, I, to go to medical school, I have to do this, I have to do that. Mm-hmm. I have to do that. And they, they fail to understand that medical or pre-med undergraduate work is very different than high school work, where you have a lot of hand-holding, a lot of daily assignments that you just mm-hmm. need to do. And in college, a lot of times it's, here's your syllabus, see you in a couple of weeks for your yeah. first test. <laughs> um, Good luck. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, it, it takes a lot of dedication, a lot of time management skills, um, um, uh, to to do well in undergrad. So make sure that you're not taking on too much. And then the other big thing is go get a free MapDAP account so you understand the full timeline of being an undergraduate student. Uh, Mapped app is free forever, but a Mapped app Pro account where you can chat with one of us, you can get 30 days free uh, using that promo code there. Absolutely. <sighs> Yes, yes. Sergio, should I get the prerequisite courses for medical school out of the way before I start my biology major or vice versa? Is biology a good way to go as a pre-med? Scott, I'll throw this one to you as another kind of undergraduate question here. It's Mm -hmm. interesting, right? Because a lot of schools have very structured, like this is the path you're going to take. Um, you, you declare your major at this point, you have to start taking all of your major classes. What, what do you recommend for Sergio here? 
Yeah, I think uh, Sergio, what I would say is that um, the, the first thing that strikes me about your question is you, you say you want to get the prerequisite courses for medical school out of the way, yep. uh, not a way to think about it. <laughs> uh, these are foundational courses for uh, an entire future that you're going to be experiencing. You need to really focus in on these courses as a as a significant part of what you're doing in, in your college experience. Uh, so that's the first thing I would say. I think that in most from for for most students, uh, particularly with regard to the chemistry sequence, you have to get that started er- early on. Uh, I would say uh, if you're not as a freshman in chemistry one, g- general chemistry one, uh, then that's going to make it pretty difficult. You need to be, uh, my recommendation is, depending on the course structure at your institution, you need to be in uh, general chemistry one and the highest uh, the highest math course that you're eligible to take as a freshman, uh, that would be the, the, the sort of beginning point for, for everything that's going to come afterwards. Um, the, the second thing that, that, that I would say is, yeah, biology is a great way to go as a pre-med. It is certainly not by any means the only way to go as a pre-med. Uh, you can major in whatever you want to major in uh, as long as you take the required classes, uh, chemistry, physics, biology, in, in, in the math class, there are a sprinkling of other classes, humanities uh, for some schools, psychology for, for, for many schools uh, that, you, that you would take. But you can do that as a part of, of pretty much any uh, undergraduate major that you might want to choose. Uh, our encouragement, certainly my encouragement, is to choose the major that you that you really connect with. Uh, if you connect and, and you really want to go and be a psychology major, then be a psychology major. If you want to be a history major, be a history major. Uh, whatever really you connect with, uh, there are certain classes that you're going to have to take, uh, uh, the, the, the prerequisite courses. But uh, outside of that, connect with what you're doing and enjoy it, get things out of it. Uh, you want to, I think uh, you want to really learn how to read. Uh, you want to learn how to write, and you want to wor- learn how to think. If you if you will connect with those three things, reading, writing, and thinking, then you will be in, in a really good position uh, in, in for your future. The three R's, reading, writing, and thinking. All right. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Ivy asks, what advice do you have for a pre-med with a 3-2-1 blast-off undergraduate GPA and currently finishing up an SMP with a 2.8 GPA. I have not yet taken my MCAT, which hopefully uh, planning to take it March of 2023. Courtney Lewis, uh, 321 undergraduate GPA. Not horrible, not great, uh, depending on the the trend behind it. Maybe would have been good enough. Um, But this student, Ivy, decided to do an SMP and has struggled, uh, unfortunately. What what advice for overcoming that SMP GPA do you have? Really putting me on the spot with the difficult <laughs> one here. Um, this is complex, and and a lot is going to play off of each other. So I would definitely 
want to see the rest of the trends and kind of what in the undergrad and how it breaks down, like what is pure science, how, how those GPAs are going to break down. You definitely want your most recent coursework to be your strongest. So in this case, it's a little bit difficult. Um, and, and one of the things that you're going to be battling is for any selection committee or admissions committee, they're going to want to know what kind of student you are now, what they're getting, how your foundation um, is looking like, and if you have the content knowledge. So I would be careful in, in planning to take your MCAT and being really honest with yourself to make sure that, you know, you have the content knowledge to go into that in the sections that you're going to be tested on and the content that you're going to be tested on, because what you really don't want to do is then come in and kind of solidify that lower GPA with a low MCAT score, um, which would kind of go in tandem. And so sometimes MCAT scores are not a content thing. They are a test taking thing. But in this case, um, I would be just really honest with yourself and, and kind of do a self-evaluation on, on preparedness to take the MCAT and, and go from there. Yeah, I think that's always the first step with this kind of step backwards is, uh-oh, what happened? Where, where did I go wrong yeah. that I, I have taken on this next step for what I, what I am supposed to be doing? And I have, I've regressed, right? An SMP, depending on where the SMP is, an SMP can be really hard if it's with the medical school, right? Mm-hmm. Some SMPs are with first year medical students. You're like, mm-hmm. you're taking your, the first year of medical school. Yep. And a 2.8 GPA is a B minus roughly, right? And, uh, is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and that's not terrible uh, for, for medical school. But to get into medical school, that's rough. And that's why SMPs can be really, really tricky. And, and Ivy may be in a situation that, uh, she may need to go back and do more undergraduate post back work to go. Uh, oops, sorry. <laughs> don't don't look at this. Uh, look at this new body of evidence. Um, unfortunately, kind of digging a hole there. And I had a, a student on uh, the pre-med years a couple of years ago, Chad. You can Google just Chad pre-med years, or we can post it uh, post it uh, in the comments if we find it. Um, where he was a student at uh, in undergrad had a family, had, had kids, uh, had lots of responsibilities working. So he wasn't dedicated as a pre-med student and his grades weren't good. And he's like, okay, my grades aren't good. I want to go to medical school. I'm going to do a post back. And guess what? He didn't fix the situation. He didn't take a step back and go, how, how can I improve what was causing me to struggle? And so he did a post back and continued to struggle because he didn't change anything. He just kept doing the same thing. And we all know the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And so he struggled with his post back and, it, and everyone told him, you're, you're not going to get into med school. This is just, just quit, give up. It's not going to happen. Even Caribbean medical school said, we don't want you. You haven't proven that you're a good enough student. Right. And, and uh, that's, that's saying something but he wanted to go to medical school. And so he took a hard look at, at what his situation was. And he said, I have a family. I'm working to support my family. What can I do to potentially fix this? And so they cut back on everything. They went on government assistant program, assistance programs. He did an SMP 
and he thrived. Once he was able to focus on being a student, he thrived. Uh, and he got into medical school and now he's a first year, I think starting second year now, uh, surgery resident as a non-traditional student. Uh, and he's, he's thriving. So woohoo for Chad. Woohoo for Chad. Yes. That's awesome. What a great story. More about that story. I found the app. It's pre-med years, episode two thirty. Yeah. Pre-med years.com slash two three zero. Nice. Check it out. Nice. Great, great story. Karen asks, what is considered late for turning in my secondaries? I have about five left for Texas. Uh, Rachel, we were just talking about secondaries and timing and all of this stuff. Yeah. Big picture. What is, what is late? Well, late is relative, right? Because uh, there's sort of how early are you in the overall rolling admissions process? And Texas has been sending out secondaries since... Uh, very late May, early June. So one way you could look at this is secondaries have been open for two and a half months. So it's a while. The other thing is, when did you personally get your secondaries? Um, And, you know, one of the considerations that um, med schools can look at is how long you took between when you got your secondary and when you returned it, because some people may see that as a sign of interest, right? If you if you take a long, long time, they may see that as you did other schools first. All that to say, those are just two data points in the grand scheme of things. So what is considered late, if you haven't turned them in yet, it doesn't really matter because the you know it's that old adage, the best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago. The second best time is today. Um, just go ahead and get them in, right? If you don't turn them around, you have zero chance. So at this point, you know, we could... We could nickel and dime this to death. We could try to do percentages. It would all just be a guess. Um, Your best bet is to pick one and do it and then keep doing that till you've done all five. Yeah. Yeah, I think students, unfortunately, get into a situation where it's like it's two weeks in one day and and everyone's like, oh, two weeks, two weeks. And they're like, "Uh oh, what do I do now? And then they just freeze. And then it's two weeks and two days. And they're like, "Uh oh, what do I do? Like, just just turn it in as soon as you can. Yeah. And I think, you know, we foster some of that. We're never trying to create anxiety, but we do try to talk about what's ideal. Right. So we say two weeks a lot because we're trying to help people who can plan ahead and meet that do so. But it's not like um, some timer goes off and they're like anyone who's on day 15 or later is automatically not considered. It just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, Karen, something to keep in mind, and this is true for everyone, is these things vary school to school, year to year, committee to yeah. committee. So if you spend a lot of time trying to second guess it, you're trying to play a game where you don't know the rules. Mm-hmm. So your best bet is just understand that sooner is better, but do it when you're ready. Yeah. And some schools do have hard deadlines. Pay attention to those. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. It all varies. Everything varies. <laughs> Everything depends. That's always the answer. We, we should do a whole episode where every question, we all just say, it depends. <laughs> uh, Talk about the definition of insanity. Where did our question go? Brandy, I graduated in May and am planning for two gap years. I have lots of clinical hours, but they aren't recent 2018 is recent clinical hours more important than research or lab 
experience. Courtney, uh, as the most recent director of admissions, um, how much emphasis did your committee, uh, secrets, no secrets, whatever, whatever you want to spill, um, how much emphasis was put on recency of things? I would say it's always beneficial to show recent or longevity in experiences where um, you can show that when you did have available time, you spent it on gaining experiences, again, building your foundation, having the knowledge of different experiences, working as a team member, all kinds of things. So I would say it's beneficial as a ruling out measure. I'm not sure, but if you go, I would say, a substantial amount of time or a couple of years and, and you're going more in the, the checkbox type for, for your gathering your experiences, we can tell. We can see where things overlap, um, what your hours look like, where are you going to school when you were doing certain experiences and things like that. And so it seems a bit disjointed. And if we have other concerns about your draw to medicine or your passion for it, um, it may come into play there, I would say. So you want to be thoughtful about going about it in kind of compartmentalizing when you get certain experiences and, and doing it that way. But um, it could potentially play off of other things as well. Yeah. Um, Scott, we often talk about the, the checklist. Um, are you checking boxes? And, and this kind of reeks of checking boxes. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I did my, my clinical experience. What's next? Okay, I, got my, I need research. Mm-hmm. Now I'm doing that. Check. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what does this look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with uh, exactly with what Courtney said. I, I do think that uh, if you think about it, uh, 2018, we're about to approach 2023. That's a five-year period since there was any clinical experience uh, based on what you've said. Uh, and and so I, that does concern me. I think there will be medical schools out there that will be uh, concerned about what have you been doing over the past five years and what is this uh, in- impulse in you that wants you to do medicine, yet you're not doing anything and haven't for essentially half of a decade. Uh, so, I, you know, that would concern me. Uh, I, I would say to, to address this, this issue head on, Brandy, I would say uh, I would prefer to see uh, more clinical and more recent clinical hours rather than research lab experience, uh, particularly if you've never done lab experience before and then all of a sudden you're doing it, it does kind of reek of, uh, of a checkbox uh, kind of mentality. Uh, I, so, you know, I would say I would tend probably more toward the clinical hours and, and, and really uh, showing uh, that this is a passionate thing for you uh, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, and rather than sort of maybe starting some, some new research experience now, if you're really into research and, and you want to do research and you see that as a part of your career, you know, go for it. But I don't think that excludes – I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. Yeah. I, I wonder how much uh, will come into play just from a question from an uh, ad comm standpoint. There, there has been a, a big – 
thing that has happened between 2018 and now that has kind of changed the look of healthcare and changed a lot of, uh, of healthcare providers perspective mm-hmm. on healthcare and being a healthcare provider. Yep. Um, and, and it'd be an interesting question for someone who hasn't done anything since the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. The question of, uh, are you sure you still want this? Like, have you seen uh, how much, potentially the the outlook of healthcare providers in in the the healthcare setting has changed have you had conversations have you seen um the distrust in in healthcare coming directly from patients um and and has that changed your mind uh, yeah. i think that's that's Great a point. big mm-hmm. question that i think is just a super easy interview question these days mm-hmm. is Patients don't trust doctors. Uh, they don't trust healthcare. They they are anti-vax. They are anti-whatever. Uh, how do we fix that? And if uh, you can theoretically have that conversation, but if you can go, well, I was when I was doing some scribing experience, I saw X, Y, and Z. That that can um, yeah, absolutely help answer the question. Yeah, great, great point. Christian, what are interviews actually like? Hell on earth. <laughs> Where were you on the night of <laughs> interrogation 101? Um, they're soft and cuddly, right, Courtney? Soft and cuddly. Uh, totally. Yeah. Um, I think they're, it varies so much um, depending on the school, but there's a couple of different formats. And so if you're prepared and you've practiced, I think it goes. It can go a long way. Plus, you are also interviewing the school. And so if you get that in your mindset as well, you're there to learn more about the school and what they have to offer and what resources they have. And so you're there trying to gather as much information as possible. And if you've done your research ahead of time and know about the school and the area and things like that, it can reduce a lot of the stress that um, some of the questions may provide. Yeah, Yeah. I I think. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the far majority of students that I talk to enjoy their interview day. Right? Yeah. It, it, it is yeah. stressful, um, but they enjoy the day. So, well, and and you made it past one of the biggest hurdles. So even just when when I was a director, we'd get four to six thousand applications every year. Realistically, we could only interview. 12%, 15% of what came in with the resources that we had. So getting an interview in general, obviously they liked something about your application. They want to know more about you. You've already got a leg up. And so going in, I think with that, that confidence and that mindset um, where now it's just thinking about fit again, it kind of reduces the stress and um, changes your mindset about what the experience is and why you're there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. MM. Are schools going to wait to give you an interview invite if you haven't taken Casper or Preview yet? It depends. <laughs> That's a perfect. It depends. All right. We'll just we'll move on from that. Every school is going to do it that process differently. They'll use it pre-interview. They'll use it post-interview. They'll use it uh, not at all in the admissions decision. Um, so it depends. William asks, what advice can you give to a student in high school wanting to go to a BA slash MD program? Oh, boy, am I opinionated on this. Rachel, <laughs> Rachel we talk a lot about uh, BA, BS, MD programs, uh, sometimes on the best light. What do you think? Yeah, I was just going to say my instinct here, William, is to say don't. 
<laughs> um, it's that's one woman's opinion. You don't have to follow my advice. Um, I'm I'm personally not a huge fan of BA MD programs or any combination of bachelor and doctoral. So BA BS MD DO, right? I'm just not a fan of those in general. I don't think they're bad. They're right for some people, but. I find them limiting because it means often you're going into med school after only two or three years of undergrad. And I think that um, just the longer you can experience college and experience life, the more mature, well-rounded of an adult you're going to be. Um, the other thing is this is, you know, when we're young adults, right? Um, when you're in those period of sort of late teens, early twenties, every year is going to change and broaden, you know, so you, it's harder to see, right. At, And I mean, I'm speaking in general terms, right? None of us ever know what's coming. But typically, once we're in our 40s or 50s, a year or two isn't going to make a huge difference in our lives. But a year or two could still make a huge difference in your life. So my my worry is that you're going to narrow yourself into one school and then later wish you'd explored more. Um, But since it seems like you want to, the flip side is if you're going to do it, what advice do you need? Um, And maybe someone else wants to chime in on that so we can still give you kind of... Who wants, Who wants it? Who wants it? Does anyone feel pro or <laughs> see some pros? Anyone? No, I, I can speak for, to that, particularly because Hofstra has a similar program. And, and it is not for everyone. Um, they do have a, a program like that. It's not for everyone, right? It, it, you do end up giving up some of the fun stuff that your, your friends that are not in that program are going to be doing. So, you know, that, that's just something to consider. Um you know, college is a very, it's four years, right? So, so there's no real reason to kind of rush into medical school. Medical school will still be there. Um, but enjoy this time. Take your time. Pace yourself. Um, as, as Rachel was just saying, there's just a lot of things you end up giving up from, from those types of programs. They're not for everyone, but if that's what you are interested in, then, you know, there are benefits to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I know those students were really I, stressed, and that's the that's the question, right? Really what stressed. what are the benefits, right? Yeah. I, think, I try to think about this all the time. The benefit is you have a pseudo acceptance yeah. at 18 years old because most of these BA BSMD programs NDO um, have. Uh, required minimums that you have to meet both from a GPA perspective. So right off the bat, you have added pressure. Now, obviously if you want to go to medical school, you need to be a good student, but you have this added artificial kind of pressure there that says, I I can't have a bad semester or else I'll lose this thing that I've already gotten. Right. And and from a human psychology standpoint, we dread losing something. And so if you've gotten this acceptance, now there's all this pressure and stress and anxiety of, I can't go and learn how to be a college student and learn how to be away on my own and learn how to go be this new adult that I am now because I have an acceptance to medical school. I have to keep it. I have to maintain these minimum GPAs. I have to, have to, have to. And then a lot of these things, they have really high minimum MCAT scores. Like I was, there was someone posting the other day, a 517 minimum MCAT score to, to get into this guaranteed BSMD program that they already accepted to. And I'm like, um, that's ridiculous. So I just, I don't see any pros in these. Uh, it adds a lot of stress to uh, a 17 year old an 18 year old that just doesn't need to be there. No. And, and sometimes they restrict what major you can pursue. You yeah. have to pick a, you know, a certain major, but let's say you're interested in something else. Well, you yeah. don't have an opportunity to pursue that. 
Yeah. yeah. It, it, um, it really, oh, I'm sorry, Rachel. Go ahead. No, please go ahead, Dr. Ray. I, I was just going to say it really smacks of the folk, the, the focus being on the destination as opposed mm-hmm. to the journey. Yeah. And uh, I really think the journey is important. And, uh, and if you are just hyper-focused on the destination of the MD, you're going to miss so much. Yep. There, there are programs like FlexMed, uh, Mount, I think it's Mount Sinai offers the FlexMed program where you apply as a sophomore, I believe, where it's like, okay, I've been a college student for a couple of years. I have good grades. I've, I've explored, I've done everything, everything. I know I want to go to medical school and I still want to be a little non-traditional. FlexMed gives you that option where you don't have to take the MCAT. You can go like your prereqs are kind of done at that point and you can go explore a romantic language or go study abroad or do something like that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. If, if you are going to explore one of these pathways, I would be very thoughtful in the one that you choose because we've all been talking about it. I would look at the resources that they have. I would look at the course loads. I would look at the support services that they have, what type of mentorship you're going to get and how large the cohort is and things like that, because they're, there is some structure in these, right? If, if you feel that you kind of thrive in a, in a very structured environment where things are kind of set up for you and, and you can go through that. Um, but look at the degree sequence as well. You know, if you're doing a three to four program and you don't get into med school and technically you've only completed three years of your undergraduate education and it leaves you without a degree and no acceptance, then that's not a great thing. So, um, and, and you can recover from that. It's just going to be likely with another institution. But I would do a lot of research before you pick which one you're going to because it will make a big difference on the outcome at the end, for sure, and the experience during. But, yeah. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> I really appreciate this question. I don't want the person who asked it to feel like we were piling on them. But, but yeah, uh, we get a lot of questions about um, – bachelor's uh medical doctor combo and yeah i think they're they're full of pit holes pitfalls um and yeah one more thing i'll add is just question your motivation so dr dr wright already sort of said is it about destination or journey where i most frequently hear about these combined degree programs is from parents um i'm seeing big nods from other advisors on camera um i think sometimes this the parents have this idea that younger is better, sooner is better. So they can say, you know, my child's 17 and they don't even turn 18 until October when they're already a freshman and she's already been, you know, conditionally accepted to med school. And if that's the main reason, it's not a fit, right? Um, Sometimes I also think it's parents who say, but this combined program is close to home and I want to know that you're going to be near me for the next eight years. And I say that with a little less judgment because some people need to go far away to college to spread their wings. And some people are going to have better experiences if they're close to home. There's, there's a million reasons for that. And I'm, I'm not going to get on into all the nuances of those. Um, But, but yeah, just think about what your justification for doing it is. What's your, what's your rationale? 
Mm-hmm. And these days, 17 getting into medical school ain't nothing because Alina mm-hmm. got all of you beat uh, as a 13-year-old. 13, going to yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I really worry about her. Like, I'm so yeah. excited. I wish her the best. And man, I hope she gets to be a teenager just a tiny bit. <laughs> <laughs> Our real-life Doogie at Hauser. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. We got to get her on the pre-med years. Uh, oh, Sam, yeah. Yeah. I've heard that you should only talk about certain adversity you face if you take an interest in fixing those issues with related volunteering. Is there truth to this? Hmm. Anyone? <laughs> I have not heard this. Yeah, I, I've never heard this. It just I, sounds... I can take that. Yeah, I don't mind taking that. Um, So this would kind of come into play, I would say, for me when I'm looking at an application. If somebody said they were particularly passionate or had an experience, it could be through adversity in their personal statement. And then in their experience, I don't see any evidence of how that affected them into any type of action. So maybe that's what you're referring to. And so there's a disconnect between what you're saying is a driving force for you and what you're actually doing about it um, to kind of help improve that. And so if that's the case, um, then yes, we can see that. So sometimes that is taken into account if if you're speaking very strongly about something um, Yeah. Like my brother had leukemia and that's what made me want to be a physician was seeing this person struggle every day. And it really affected my family and and things like that. And yet um, there's no there's no drive to action. Uh, There doesn't have to be there. There doesn't have to be. But we can tell and and depending on how strongly you speak about it, especially with things of of adversity, um, if that's kind of your power, then, you know, we do look for it. Yeah. I think, I think there's a difference between adversity faced versus adversity leading to, as you mentioned, Courtney, like the, a drive, a passion for something that someone's saying, there are plenty of people out there, survivors of, of abuse and, and other things that don't want to go touch that and be around other survivors of abuse because it's triggering for them. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see an issue with not mentioning or mentioning adversity that you don't then go do things with. Yeah, yeah. This feels like a twisted version of something that I think is true, which is don't claim you're super passionate about mm-hmm. something and then not have done anything. Correct. Right. 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 Um, I, I'm really interested in rural healthcare, and you're like grew up in an urban environment and have never stepped foot uh, on a farm out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I don't care if you grew up in an urban environment, but I want to know that you set foot in that rural healthcare. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. maybe it was your grandparent or your great uncle or something that drove the interest. So even though you yep. didn't grow up there, you decided to do your clinical there. Right. So it's good point. It, I don't think that passion has to come from sympathy, personal experience. It can come from empathy, right? We can see someone going through something rough that we've never gone through and still take an interest in it. But I want, if you're going to say 
I'm going to spend all my time, you know, with geriatrics or I'm going to spend, I mean, it's like the classic personal statement issue um, ending. I won't just be a doctor. I'll also advocate for patients like, you're the first person who's ever said that. (laughs) Um, If you're going to claim that, can, can you show me some ways you've already advocated for patients? I'd be interested. Sasha, I have my MCAT coming up in three weeks, and I do not feel that I will hit my target score in that time. Do medical schools view retakes with good improvement favorably? (sighs) Scott, are students allowed to struggle and then improve, or do they have to hit it out of the park the first time? You better hit a home run that first time. (laughs) Every time. Grand slam, not even just a home run. Yeah, no, no, no. (laughs) Uh, Sasha, you, yeah, uh, I I think most most medical schools, not not exclusively, but most medical schools will give you the advantage of your highest score. There are a few that take the latest or whatever, you know, there's, you know, some, but most schools are going to give you the advantage of whatever your highest total score is. And so there's no necessarily disadvantage to a retake. And, and if you improve, then good for you. And that's great. And they're going to, they're going to let that ride. So I, I would say there's no, uh, no reason, uh, you know, if you're not in the position to hit whatever your target score is, then, uh, and, and, you know, I will say quickly that, uh, that, um, you know, you can't always tell. And I, I've had students who, who, you know, they, 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 they went in taking it thinking, you know, there's no way I'm going to hit this score. And they end up going over what they, what they thought they were going to do. And, and so it, it, it's such a, a difficult thing to gauge. Uh, but I would say go for it, do the best you can. And if you don't hit the, the target that you're looking for, then try better next time. And, and if you improve, then hooray, and, and you'll, you'll get an advantage out of that. Yeah. And if you really don't, like if you're far away from your target score, maybe a reschedule if you're yeah. in that window where you can still pay Definitely. the double AMC for not doing anything. Yep. <laughs> Natalie, if I want to pull up my GPA, uh, do doing a do-it-yourself postback, can I apply the year I'm doing my postback? Mm-hmm. Verinia, we talk a lot about, right, if, if you need to prove your academic ability, um, you probably should wait until yep. you've proven it versus applying yep. while you're trying to prove it. Exactly. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense to do that if you still need to take a few more courses and really uh, establish that trend, the GPA trend, as well as show academic, um, you know, that you're able to academic capability, basically. So I would say, no, I would wait, wait to finish your, your post back, make sure you have um, all your grades counted in there before applying. Yeah. I think a lot of students know and hear about sending updates to schools and they'll go, Oh, I'll Mm -hmm. just, I'll apply. And then I'll update them when I get my grades and I'll update them the next time I get my grades, like multiple semesters in and I just, I I don't think you can count on medical schools looking at each individual update coming in going, oh, we need to recalculate GPAs Mm -hmm. here because we got some some more grades. Right. As Courtney, as you mentioned, right, 6,000 applications for uh, a few number of seats. Like, you just, ain't nobody got time for that. 
No. <laughs> well, and, and when the updated grades are going to be coming in, it's going to be late fall. So a lot of schools can already be done with their interview invites and, and have a pretty good idea of what their cycle looks like and have yeah. gone through a majority of their, their strong candidates. So it it is not in your best interest. It leaves more doubt than um, confidence in, in what you're doing. And the timeline really doesn't match up. It'd be better to go in stronger a few months later yep. than um, try to catch something on the back end with an update after things are already going and seats have been distributed and, and doing it that way. hundred percent. Yep. Great. Bubble. <laughs> um, how are applicants coming from another discipline, for instance, nursing seen in the app process? Are there some stereotypes that I can help avoid as a nurse when applying? <sighs> Scott, do med schools yeah. love nurses or do they hate nurses? Are they stereotypes? What's going on there? No, I, I mean, I think that um, medical school admissions committees will, will look at your application who are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Uh, you know, nurses have, you know, a lot of, 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 of good things coming in. They've got a lot of patient care uh, experience. Uh, it doesn't mean necessarily that a nurse is going to have an advantage in the application process. Uh, maybe they will because of certain factors, but, you know, not necessarily. So I, I don't think that, I think that in my experience, at least, most medical school admissions committees are very, uh, very good at, uh, at, at, at avoiding stereotypes, at avoiding, you know, kind of what, uh, you know, these, these implicit or explicit biases related to stereotypes and stuff. And they really work hard uh, to, to, to go beyond those things. And so uh, I don't think that you need to think that you're going to be at an, a disadvantage as a nurse coming into the process of wanting to be a physician, uh, nor will you necessarily have an advantage in that process. They're going to be looking at you for who you are, what have you done, uh, and, 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 and trying to determine if you're a good fit for their institution. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think being a nurse it gives gives you so much amazing experience uh, yeah. and insight into the, the world of healthcare that I, I, I would stereotype nurses being amazing applicants yeah. As, yeah. as long as you don't come in with a lot of negative attitudes of like right. all the doctors I work with are horrible and I, I need yeah. to go prove them wrong. Right. Yeah. Right. Marie, should I answer secondaries to the character limit, i.e. 500 words max, and I write about 200 to 300? Is that bad? Rachel, uh, there, there are lots of secondary variations from 65 characters all the way up to unlimited. Uh, what, what do you think? Answer the question, move on, or fill up all the white space? Uh, it depends. <laughs> yeah, when, when I'm reviewing secondaries, I usually do, you know, we always have students send us their, their character limit or word limit because it can be either with secondaries. And usually one of the first things I do is just use the Google Doc tool to do a quick count. And what I'm looking for is you're not over, but in most cases, unless there's some good exception, I would want to see you be at least half full. Now, that's a general rule of thumb. I don't want people writing that down as some crazy rule. Um, but if they give you 500 characters, and you said 200 to 300, so you might be ballpark, right? But if, if, if for example, 
um, they give you 500 words and you only use 100, it might be that you had the most concise, pithy, thoroughly complete and direct answer ever. Or it might be that you didn't dig deep enough and should find some more things to say just based on the length they gave you, right? They might be looking for more. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't overthink this. I wouldn't spend forever on your word count. But, but if, if I see someone who's consistently under, so not just on one secondary, but if, you know, if you've got 10 in a row that are all 500 words max and they're all 200 words, I'm going to start worrying that maybe you didn't think about these as hard as you could have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. Rosa, do medical schools look down on taking science courses at a community college, even if the student gets a 90 plus overall score? So still getting A's, but it's at a community college. Scott, uh, yeah. this is a perfect, um, ideal or optimal, acceptable, mm-hmm. uh, right. not acceptable response. What do Correct. you think here? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, uh, I, it's not optimal. Uh, I, I will say it's, it's not necessarily optimal, but it is acceptable. Uh, it is, uh, you know, students do things for various reasons. I think if you're a, if you're a university student, and uh, you need to take the prerequisites at your university is, is the optimal thing to do. Uh, if you're going to want to take courses at the community college, let's say, for example, during the summer uh, to save money, uh, use that for other courses, elective courses, courses outside of the science curriculum, uh, I think is the, the better thing to do. You know, history, English, um, you know, psychology, uh, other, other types of courses, and, and then save for your, your home institution, uh, the, uh, the university, uh, the institution, uh, those science courses. That would be optimal. Yeah. Kowal, when do you start hearing about interviews, Texas schools and others? So there are interviews happening now. Uh, the The application process, uh, the the applications start going out kind of mid to late May ish uh, for Texas schools, mm-hmm. and then secondary uh, turnaround and all of that fun stuff. So students can start getting interviews. Typically, uh, we start to see getting into July, typically mid to late July, uh, and then ramping up uh, fast and furious after that. Yep. Lloyd, would it be a bad idea to ask for a letter of recommendation for a summer research program from the professor of a class in which I don't have a final grade yet? Courtney, when you're looking at a letter of recommendation, are you looking for Lloyd got an A in my class? Or are you looking for Lloyd is a passionate, empathetic, driven, hardworking person? Yeah, it's it's what you said. I think a lot more... Um, what's a lot more helpful is character, study skills. This person was in my office hours, how they communicated, interact as a team member for their fellow students over a really brief statement. This person showed up for class. They didn't have any issues. They got an A as their final grade. 
Um, there was a curve, such and such. So no, it's not needed. I would say make sure that this person can write you a strong letter of recommendation based off of their interactions that they've had with you thus far. But that goes across the board for everybody that you're asking. Um, you want to ask them for a strong letter and you can ask them if they feel comfortable writing that, right? You know, you can lead by saying, I know I haven't completed this, but do you feel comfortable writing me a letter of recommendation? I'm applying to med school. Is there anything that I could do or that you would need to see from me since I don't have a final grade um, to help you in writing a strong letter for me? Um, And leading it that way, showing that you're willing to put in work and do your due diligence to help them, um, I think kind of leads it off on a better foot if if you don't have that or you have limited interactions. So no, you don't need a final grade short answer. Yeah. So you don't need a short, uh, a final grade to, to ask. Um, but a lot of professors will say, I, I can't write a letter until your grades are in, uh, which shame on them. Cause it's not really needed, but that's, that's, uh, that happens a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> Juan love mapped. Thank you. Uh, given me, uh, oh, it's given me a good perspective of where I am about to start a grad certification at FIU. I just talked to them on Monday to show med schools that I'm capable. Awesome. How important are tutoring hours versus clinical hours? I want to be an ED scribe tutoring hours, which is non-clinical versus clinical hours. I think all of us would say clinical experience is, uh, probably one of the most important things. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Go on, go. Stefano, I uh, I am a full-time attorney and I cannot spread clinical experience over too much time. I just started and applying next cycle. Does that look bad on an application? Cramming stuff in there. Uh, Verinia, what do you think? Especially for our non-trads, which we interact with, I think probably the most uh, out of any student type. This is a very common Mm -hmm. scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And it's difficult to try to balance everything you need to do, but, but you don't want to appear as though, as Ryan just said, you're trying to cram everything in there. Uh, What's more important is you've done things consistently over time, even Mm -hmm. if it's just a few hours a week, a few hours a month or whatever that may, whatever your schedule allows. Um, But that's, that's more um, important than trying to cram everything into one year and maybe potentially, you know, Maybe next cycle is not the right cycle for you. It depends on how much experience you're able to get. Because remember, all these experiences are going to help you then talk about them during your, you know, in your application, during your interviews. If you don't have enough exposure around patients, then you won't be able to tell stories about this. So keep that in mind. Don't try to cram everything in. Just be consistent in how many hours you're able to do uh, and potentially think, well, maybe I need to not worry about applying next year and just getting more experience along the way. Yeah. Yep, yep. Very, very, yep. very common for, for students, especially with the pandemic, not being able to do anything during the pandemic to mm-hmm. say, I'm applying next cycle. I just started going back to Rachel, what you said earlier, best time to plant a tree 20 years ago, second best time today, start and, and just do what you can do. 
Well, and another way to look at it that I've heard a lot of faculty say is that it's not just for us, right? It's not just because a med school says, you know, oh, we want to add another requirement to it, just so you know. It's also for the applicants themselves and knowing this is a really difficult journey that you are agreeing to embark on. And there are a lot of different environments and that affects your day to day. And so having a good breadth of knowledge about the different clinical settings and making sure you actually want to do this because you're going to have to invest so much of yourself and your family is going to have to, that it's also for your benefit to get these hours under your belt so that you know that this is what you want to pursue and what you want to do and you have the knowledge of what you're walking into. Definitely. Definitely. I'm just kind of wondering, do do medical schools accept attorneys? No. I, I, I just... No. Not at I all. <laughs> just kidding, Stefano. Just kidding. You're working with a, a great attorney this. I time. am. I, I am working this uh, this cycle with an attorney who uh, is uh, maybe even listening right now, Jeff. If you're listening, you know, hello. And uh, he's a great guy and uh, has been an attorney for many years and uh, uh, he is a wonderful applicant. I think he's going to be a, a, a great doctor someday. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It, it is. I don't know if we have time for another one. It's, it's time. Time flies when we're nice. having fun here. Um, sorry. Should we answer that last one? We brought it up. That's, that's yeah, a tease. Sure. Let's, let's answer it. Uh, Carmen yeah. asks, when I was living in the DR, I was taking care of my grandfather during his recovery from surgery for several herniated discs. Can I add those experiences in the activity section? Heck yeah. Being yep. a caretaker, double uh, yeah. AMC even has a, a, a article about five ways to get clinical experience, and being a caretaker is one of them. Yep, definitely. Doesn't you definitely think it's a good idea that you get some clinical that isn't family, mm-hmm. yeah. but mm-hmm. family clinical counts. Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't matter where you were doing it. That's what I was just going to say. It doesn't yeah. matter that you were not here in the U.S. doing it. Yeah, yeah, or at home, right? Yeah. Versus yeah. being in a hospital. Yeah. yeah. definitely definitely well uh time has come to an end thank you everyone for asking amazing questions i sincerely apologize that we can't get to all of them uh every week but we get to as many as we can and did you know uh with mapped app pro you can Ask questions directly to us right inside of your account. Uh, so if you have maybe some personal questions, you don't want to be as as open and vulnerable to go onto your YouTube account and ask us questions, you can do it right inside of Mapped Pro, which you can get a free 30-day trial using that promo code 30 days free at mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. For Verinia Scott, Dr. Wright, Courtney, and Rachel Grubbs. The mapped team is out. We need to time it perfectly so we can end it right then. But then we have to sit here in silence. (laughs) (laughs) This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.